0: Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with me, Chris Bright. Every week, I'll be speaking with a church leader about ministry strategy and getting to grips with not just what they do, but the thinking behind why they do it. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, my guest today is Sam Hales. Sam is the editor of Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Before joining Premier, he has worked as a freelance journalist and as a social media manager. So he's got a lot to input to us today, and I'm sure that you'll really uh, enjoy what Sam has to say. Sam, it's so great uh, to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. Wonderful to be with you.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I really wanted to um, talk to you today because... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the church and how we're responding in this time, and uh, you know, we're thinking. Thinking Church is we're a strategy company, so we're, we're thinking a lot about how do we position ourselves in the world and how can we best do that for churches to have the sort of the, the greatest impact. So, uh, Sam, we, we kind of we know that church attendance in the UK has been declining for for decades now, really, and at the same time, I'm noticing. That churches less and less are, are addressing those kind of uh, issues that are on people's minds uh, and the, you know the big topics in life. What do you think has? Um, why do you think churches have taken that step away from the big questions that are being aren't asked by people in the world today?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think first of all, it's just great what you said at the beginning there, um, which doesn't sound great, does it? Churches in decline, but the reason <laughs> the reason I think it's really good you're starting there is is I'm concerned that not everyone realizes that which I you know is a bit of a, sounds like a strange thing to say because it is so obvious when you look at the figures but it's something I actually ask people quite a lot in interviews. I say, look, we've got to be honest here. All the trends are down. What are we going to do about it? And it's not until we're upfront as Christians and acknowledge that this is not a good trend that we can then start to ask the big questions of, OK, what are we are going to do about it? And I, I think, unfortunately, there is a bit of naivety still amongst some Christians about the kind of culture we live in today. This is not a culture that is particularly open to the gospel. And so we have to actually ask some hard questions. Why is that? And what can we do about it? So I think that kind of realism is a really helpful place to start. And then I guess the second part of your question is is more, does this have something to do with the fact we're not talking about the big issues of life? I mean, first of all, is it the case that that Christians and churches aren't talking about the big issues? I mean, I know of one church in Brighton that surveyed local people and said, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? And they did quite a lot of research on this. I think it was an online survey. And then whatever those top five or ten questions were, they did a sermon on that question each week for I think it was ten weeks. And I thought, well, that's good, isn't it? That's a, that's a good example of a church going to local people. What are the questions you actually have, not what do we as Christians think are the questions you have, but actually asking people directly and then seeking to answer those through sermons. And I think that's that. I thought that was a, a really great way of of doing some kind of apologetics, really, on on a Sunday morning. Admittedly, that's a bit of an isolated example. I don't hear those sorts of stories a lot, and certainly there are some people who argue that one of the reasons we're seeing the decline is, is what you said—that that, that churches aren't addressing the big questions that people have. Personally, I think it's. Personally, I'm I'm happy to say that's part of the puzzle. I don't think it's the whole story. But certainly I would be of the view that as Christians and as churches, we have to meet people where they're at. And that includes dealing with some of the intellectual objections that you do come across to Christianity. And I think as Christians, we can be confident there are really good and really strong answers to those questions. It's just a case of finding them and also delivering them and applying them in a way that makes sense to people.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, I've been thinking through this topic quite a lot. um, And I started... Uh, to blog through the Book of Acts, and I'm—I think I'm about nine blogs in, and I'm still only in chapter four. So it's going to take me a long time. It's going to take—I me I think it's going to take me a, probably a life's work to get through it. Um, but just uh, my my job is to obviously look at it through. a am kind of looking at it through a, a strategy lens and trying to look, you know, what was going on in the early church. What can we learn from it from a strategy point of view? And one one of the things I was struck with really quite early is how often the church got into trouble. Um, Not that they were obnoxious in any way. You know, uh, when Peter stands up to speak, he's not obnoxious really at all. Uh, But what he says when he boldly says what he believes, uh, he gets into trouble. Uh, So my question is, do you think that us in the UK, church Christians in the UK, do you think we're playing a bit safe?
1: I think some of us are and I would include myself in that I've been guilty of that 100%. I think sometimes even as a preacher you think oh, you know do I really want to go there that's going to upset people. And it's it's really important that we don't think like that. And actually as Christians we are supposed to live forgive the cheesy phrase but we are supposed to live for an audience of one. We are supposed to say god I'm living for you and I'm speaking your truth and if some people don't like it, you know, that's all right that's their issue. I've got I've got to live to please you and so certainly we've got to be a bit um, well, in in fact, the Evangelical Alliance um, uh, said this when um, when Gavin Calvert took over. He, he did an interview, I think, pretty much on day one of his new job. And he told me he wanted he wanted the organization to be braver and bolder. And that's what he's seeking to do at the Evangelical Alliance. But I think in general, that's true of a lot of evangelical churches, not just the EA as a body. We do need to be a bit braver and bolder. And again, I say that of myself. I think there are definitely times we have to just take a bit of a stand even if it's culturally very, very unpopular, and what we've seen is Christianity move, I think, from something that's perceived as a little bit strange and weird. Increasingly now in parts of culture' we've seen as something quite dangerous and destructive, and that's really quite a big shift that we've got to get our heads around. But of course the the encouraging news in all of this is that, as you know, where the church is is under threat or is persecuted around the world, in history and today, the church grows. So at the end of the day, you know, God's in control of this stuff. And I think we have we have got to be a bit braver and bolder. Um, But I can point to parts of the church that will say they're being brave and bold, whereas in my opinion, they are just being antagonistic. And that's just my view. I can also point to parts of the church that I think are being timid and need to speak up a bit. So it's a really it's a really great question and a really great challenge, I think, for all of us personally as Christians to think through. of Am I treading that line? Am I being faithful to the gospel? Am I being faithful to Jesus and saying what is true? But am I also seeking to do it with gentleness and respect, which the Bible also instructs us to do? So I think getting that balance is really key, and I certainly haven't figured it out yet.
0: Yeah, I, I I put myself in the same camp because I think where where I th- probably say I'd probably be in the more too timid category and think, gosh, I need to be a bit bolder in, in my faith and be a bit bolder of, as to what I believe. And I think it's very easy, especially in the social media climate and, you know, the, anything that you believe can be... Taken and torn apart, of course, and um, so I'm. I, th- I think that probably, um for many Christians in the UK, they would probably sit in the too timid. i th- You're absolutely right as well. There are there are churches that are just. Probably more on the what I cast as the obnoxious side, and uh, uh, and maybe what they need to do is just learn to still say what they believe, but with with that kind of grace and uh, uh, all those kind of things. That there's a bit more kindness in in their tone, but not changing what they believe. And I think that's I think that's the the fine line that we've got to um, we, we've got to go with that. And it's a really hard one to get. Yes. And I think it's going to take a lot of of, of tweaking and changing. I think.
1: Yeah. I, I forget who said it, but I, I love the quote that um, the the gospel is offensive. You don't need to be. Mm. And, and I think that's, that's the point, isn't it? If, if, if anyone's gonna be offended by someone in your church, make sure it's the gospel, make sure it's not that they're offended because of your political views or, you, you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And, and the gospel, you know, as, as scripture says, for some people it is this sweet smell and for others, it's the stench of death. Um, you know I mean? Goodness, that's a stark way of putting it, isn't it? There and there. So, you know, we've got to be real and upfront about that. But certainly I never want to and I never want to be a stumbling block. I never want my, you know, political views or I don't know, the state of our church toilets or carpet to be off-putting. I want the gospel to be off-putting if it if it has to be, but I don't want anything else to be off-putting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I love about uh, Premier Christianity is it is seeking to sort of deliberately comment on the current affairs in Britain, especially, and around the world. Uh, How do you curate the content for that? Because you get a lot of, you know, op-ed stuff. um, uh, And how how do you curate the content so that it's uh, even handed?
1: And uh, how, how do you go about that? I I wish I knew Chris I should know that shouldn't I (laughs) (laughs) every day is different and there's no hard and fast rules I suppose the the, the first thing to say is um, I've you know as editor inherited an incredible kind of legacy if you like Um, Premier Christianity magazine started life in 1965 as Buzz magazine and it's been published every single month since 1965 and so occasionally I go to our offices and I go down to the basement and I get out all the back copies and I have a flick through and it's fascinating Uh, Cliff Richard. Appeared a lot in our magazine in the 80s and 90s, especially. Um, and I can tell you some other things about the archive, but I don't want to sidetrack us too much. But the, the point is, because the magazine's been around for such a long time, we actually, you know, our reputation precedes us in a really helpful way. And so, actually, there's a lot of writers out there who um, will pitch in ideas. There's a lot of contacts we have as a magazine from across the denominations, and they'll come to me and say, "Sam, here's a great story happening in our church," or "Sam, here's a theological issue I I want to write about," or even, you know, "Here's a great issue you should be." tackling, but I'm not the person to write it. And then we go away and have a think about who is the person to write it. So I, I think the first thing to say is our reputation is really helpful. People know who we are, they know what we do, and they come to us with ideas. And then in terms of other idea generation, um, that's just me personally being immersed in this world. You know, I am a I am a uh, a voluntary sort of church leader. I'm in, in church leadership in my local church. So yeah, you know, a lot of our readers are church leaders. A lot of our readers are small group leaders or alpha leaders. And so because I'm in that world personally, hopefully I know the sorts of things our audience are interested in. And then the other thing you just hinted at in your question is what's happening in the news? And so every day we're looking at what is on BBC News and what what is the mainstream news agenda? What are they talking about? And then we ask the question, well, what is what is the Christian response to that? And of course, the answer to that question is there isn't one single christian response instead there are christian responses and so we then seek to try and reflect some of that diversity in the uk church and that of course lands us in trouble uh, because in the last two months for example we have published some stuff on transgender some of it's taken a very uh traditional view um and some of it hasn't and the reason we've done that is we seek to reflect the diversity within the uk church that there you know you and i may may like to think there is one christian view on transgender but yeah you know, in reality there isn't, and there are Christians that disagree on that subject. And this is, you know, a very difficult, um, uh, very tricky pastoral questions around that as well. And so we try and reflect that debate quite sensitively. So we do a mixture of looking at the kind of big picture theology, what is right, but we also try and do the more kind of pastoral, how should the church respond to people? Because especially with that particular subject, these are, these. this is people we're talking about. This is not just an issue. So um, that's a long answer to a short question, but it's what I love about this role is it is incredibly diverse. And one minute you'll be talking about Squid Game and the next minute you'll be talking about the doctrine of hell and kind of everything in between. And you're just seeking to provide a space for the UK church to have a conversation on the things that matter both inside the church and in culture more generally.
0: Yeah. I, I wonder whether have you um do well, do you get accused of you know premier christianity is you know a far left magazine or a far right magazine is that something that you have to deal with a lot are you on the end of you know twitter mobs how do you deal with that kind of stuff if, if you are
1: <laughs> yeah I, I to be honest with you i can't remember the last time we had an email that was you are a right wing or you are a left wing magazine as a whole and and i think and I think you certainly can critique and people do critique individual articles that they're uncomfortable with for whatever reason. But I I don't tend to hear it as, as general. You know, you, you are a white, right wing or a left wing. And I think the reason for that is we have worked really hard to represent the diversity of the church. I mean, back when I joined Premier, I started as a, as a news and feature journalist. And I remember this question actually came up in, in my interview for the job and they said, you know, how do you see the UK church and how would you cover it? And what I said then, I guess I'd still say now, which is that as I look at the UK church, I see people who care about, quote unquote, left wing issues, which might be, I don't know. Um, It might be the environment. Now, increasingly, that's not a left wing issue, but it's perceived as being a left wing issue amongst some or poverty. Now, again, that's not really left, but it's perceived as, oh, there are certain Christian charities that lean to the left and talk a lot about poverty or food banks or whatever it is. And then you look and you say, well, there are Christians that seem to really care about, quote unquote, right wing issues. And they talk a lot about family and a lot about marriage and a lot about the sanctity of life or euthanasia i said my heart is to bring all this together in one place because i personally i think god cares about all of those things and can we provide a space where actually it's not just divided on political lines but we come together as the church and say well what does god care about and how can we no matter what our personal politics get involved in what god is doing so that's kind of how i sought to edit the magazine. Um, you know, I remember we, we did, going back to what you said earlier about um, sometimes needed to be bold and brave about these things. We did a we did a um, cover story last year in the middle of the George Floyd uh, murder, did a big cover story. It said Black Lives Matter to Jesus. And actually, I have to say that cover was really well received by almost everyone. We did get a little bit of flack, but generally people were really pleased to see us doing that. And it was very interesting online. There was a real buzz about it. And everyone was sharing it saying this is fantastic almost exactly a year later, we did a, a cover story on the subject of abortion and said the church should not be silent about abortion. It was very interesting. It didn't get a lot of retweets and a lot of sharing. And and I think there are just some issues as Christians, it's kind of easier to talk about culturally. If you talk about you know racism is wrong, culture will say, yes, fantastic. If you talk about abortion, culture is less likely to kind of welcome you with open arms. But I do think as Christians, both really matter. I mean, bro, both, in my opinion, are pro-life issues. And so we will kind of make no apology for speaking about both and, and seeking to um to inform the debate i suppose uh, and' um, sorry i will shut up in a minute but one one last thing on this you could edit all this out afterwards if I'm waffling on too much but i'm sorry i'm just i'm passionate about what we do but the the other thing is um is on this is I don't expect Christians to pick up the magazine necessarily, read an article and completely change their mind. I don't really think that happens too much. I mean, I'm certainly too stubborn to read one feature and then completely change my mind on an issue. But what I am hoping is that Christians will read a piece and come away and say, okay, I now understand why other good Christians think differently to me on this issue. So for me, it's actually about building understanding and unity more than it is about getting us all to agree. Yeah and I
0: I I think I I get that and I think understanding the breadth of and the diversity of opinion within the body of Christ has been really helpful for me in just my own sort of personal you know journey of learning more about theology and learning more about God and realizing there's so many different views on so many different things and actually there's a there's a strength there which I think is 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 helpful and sometimes it needs, you know, uh, churches need to be bold and say this is where we stand on certain things. But the, the, to have a, a breadth on on certain issues is actually shows this. You know, it, I think it shows a, a great strength in the church that there is uh, there is a, a nice sort of diversity of opinion, and it doesn't, you know, it well, obviously it does cause some division. But it, but we're still, you know, we're still all believers together, and I think that's a that's a a, a great thing. I was thinking about if churches wanted to start. Talking about maybe a big topic. And, you know, you talked about you did a, you know, Black Lives Matter to Jesus uh, front cover. You've also run an abortion front cover. Um, I think the thing that churches will worry about if they were going to do a, you know, we're going to talk about abortion this Sunday or about racism this Sunday is they'll be worried about the backlash, uh, either from their own congregation or even from the public, which can happen nowadays. Um, When you come to, you know, hit, publish on uh, or go to print you know on one of those things what are the risks that you're weighing up um and how does it differ does it differ for online and for print and how do you approach those kind of things
1: yeah that's a, that's a great question I, I suppose the first thing i'd say on that is just because i do wear a sort of church leader hat as well as an editor hat i'm not saying that everything a christian magazine does a church should or even could do. I do think, as a media company, there are some things it's it's easier for us to do. So I'm very well aware of of the sensitivities. I mean, f- for us in terms of weighing up the risks, um, I mean the, I'll be honest, that the last issue we did was more edgy than an average issue. it It just so happened that the last issue had transgender Halloween and ghosts and euthanasia, all in all in one <laughs> issue. And, you know, I'll be honest, I am, I am far from the perfect editor. If I have my time again, maybe i would pull back on one or two of those. Because really, you know, our job as a magazine, it isn't just to provoke people. It is to encourage the church. And, you know, we do things like we publish a new testimony every single month. And, you know, we do work quite hard to, to be positive. We, we don't want to just become a magazine that's, you know, moaning about all the things that are wrong in the church. Far from it. We want to be an, an encouragement to church leaders. So I guess, you know, we don't always get it right. And that's why it's great to hear from readers. And they will say, why did you do that? And or I didn't appreciate that. And we get a real mix of, of positive and, and more critical feedback. But even even the critical feedback is very interesting because actually, who are the people who read this magazine? The the people who read this magazine are committed to their local church. They love their local church. Many of them are leaders in their local church. But the reason they pick it up is just once a month to get a broader perspective on what is happening outside of their locality, outside of their denomination, even outside the UK. And we try and be international as well. And so actually, they're open. Our readers are open to hearing other perspectives, including ones they disagree with. So, again, that's perhaps a little bit different from a church. You know, you think if if you're a church, if you're a preacher, your job is not really to open up. Oh, well, you know, here's lots of different ideas. Your, your job is to preach the word of God and say this is true. And so as a media company that's speaking to lots of different Christians and, and sourcing different views, it is different. It's just a different form of communication to, for example, preaching. So I wouldn't want to, um, you know, conflate the, the two unnecessarily. Um, But I, I don't know. I don't know if any of that's helpful for leaders. It, it may not be, but that's kind of how we see it as a, as a magazine.
0: No, I think that that really is helpful. And I think that that, Having that broad perspective, and and uh, you know, w- when you pick up the magazine, you're going to have something that's going to okay. I'm going to see things from a, a different perspective and see what what's happening in. Uh, in the body of Christ across the UK and, and internationally as well, and I think it gives that that broader perspective, which is so helpful and so needed because it's so easy to get stuck in your own, you know, in your own church or in your own denomination, and just and you you forget what else is out there and the um, and the breadth of uh, of the body of Christ, which is I think is a great thing that we all need to know. Uh, I, I'm wondering about uh, one of the things I'm thinking about is, and I think that it's something that you could probably speak into with your role is how are you seeing culture change Um, and specifically I think it's how is it starting to change the church I think the your perspective as an editor and you're seeing lots of different opinions and you're commenting on you know different topics news items and uh, uh, popular culture and all those kind of things how are you seeing what shifts are you seeing in culture at the moment and how is that affecting the church
1: Wow, another great question.
0: I, <laughs> I don't go you, for you gotta, small questions. <laughs>
1: well, you got to understand, understand, Chris, I'm really uncomfortable because normally I'm on your side of the microphone asking the questions. <laughs> now I've got to actually provide some answers, which is much <laughs> more. Normally I just ask people these things uh, and similar questions to what you're asking, they, they're great questions. Um, well, well, we've spoken for a good 20 minutes now and I've not mentioned the dreaded COVID, have I? So let's let's bring COVID in. Let's go into I COVID. Think, I think if we're talking about church and culture in the future, we, we kind of can't not talk about that. And, you know, I should, I should say at this point, Chris, you know, you guys have been doing some fantastic work on this and, you know, you've written some some great articles for us at, at Premier Christianity on, on these topics. And I'm keen to hear, more keen to hear your view than give mine to be honest. But I, I guess the way I'd see it is is the big change has been online church, isn't it? That's been the big shift. Um, and, and again, just to be honest, if, if people had come to me before COVID and said, you know, I'll be really honest here, even if someone had come to me and said, look, I'm disabled, I'm housebound, I can't get there. Can you start live streaming your service? If I'm being really honest, I, I don't think I would have actioned it because I'd just be thinking, well, the resource that requires for one or two people. I know that's an awful thing to admit. Well, look at what happened with COVID. When us able-bodied folk couldn't do it, we suddenly made the effort. And now we've got, <laughs> yeah. and you know, I do think for the for the disabled community in particular who've been asking for this for years and leaders like me not actioning it, we just proved actually we can. So, you know, that's been a huge shift, not just for those who, who can't physically get to the building. I think it's been a huge shift for our evangelism. Um, so I've spoken to people in our local church who have, because we're now meeting in person again. We're actually doing a hybrid of of live stream and in person. And I've spoken to people who said, oh yeah this is my first Sunday with you in person but I've been watching you online for the past weeks or months and that was always our prayer right when lockdown happened and we're live streaming God please we pray local people would see us on YouTube and you know we'd have impacts and and I think God has has answered that prayer but in terms of the future I don't know I, I'd love to hear your view on this but I think the jury is out on whether this is a big long-term change that from now on churches will embrace digital and live stream all their services or will people start to say you know what in person is so much better and now that we can most of us get back to in person let's not do all the live stream stuff because you know it is time consuming or expensive or take a lot of people but what do you think
0: well thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast this is only halfway through the podcast and you can listen to the full conversation by joining our members podcast just go to our website www.thinking.church and you can sign up to our members podcast there it only costs the price of one coffee per month so it's well worth doing so why not get a coffee listen to the podcast and learn something new we'll see you again for this podcast next week so bye for now